Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're going to be chatting with the legend of the Australasian barbecue scene, meat stock founder and ABA co-founder, Jay Beaumont. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 107 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Before we get into this episode, I do want to just run a couple of announcements by you. First of all, just letting you know that this week is the final week for the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Game Show. So we've been, we've been running it for nine weeks. This week's week 10, and it's the championship round. So if you'd like to know more about that, head on over to the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue community on Facebook. All the links to join are there. We're doing it Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And it's going to be, um, it, it's think, think pub trivia, but all about barbecue. So there's 20 questions broken into four rounds, multiple choice answers. The final round each week is written by a different guest quiz master. So we've had a really fun time looking at those sort of questions and seeing what's come out of that. The winner of each week has been playing for a beautiful Smoking Hot Confessions tumbler. But as I said, this week is the championship round. So the winner is going to be getting a tumbler and a rub sauce and merch pack from Four Monkeys Barbecue and a uh, beer and merch pack from Mountain Goat Beer, which is very cool indeed. So as I said, head on over to Facebook, Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Community, jump into the event section and all the links to join and all the information is in there. And this Friday is the final round. So if you haven't joined us yet, this is your last chance to get in. It is a cracker, absolute cracker. After that, we have our happy hour. So after the game show, we have a separate catch-up. And we do that because at the moment, we can't get out to the pub, we can't meet up with our friends, and we can't have a drink, blow off steam, speak our minds, all that sort of stuff that's usually really important for our mental health and well-being. So we do it after the game show. So it's not a branded um, production like what you're looking at now. It's not recorded. It's a completely safe space. You've you're free to speak your mind. We're all there to just hang out, have a chat, have a laugh, support each other if, if, if that's what we need and just, uh, and, and just have a good old catch up. So once again, the links to that are in the events in the group on Facebook. So jump in, check that out. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, please make sure you give us a thumbs up, a subscribe and hit that little notification bell. If you're watching on Facebook, give us a like and a share. And if you're watching on Instagram TV, give us a heart and a follow. And if you're listening on a podcast app, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review. All of these things help us share our love for the barbecue scene that we all enjoy. So they're really important and really means a lot to us. Now, today's episode, we're going to be chatting with a man who's partly responsible for the entire barbecue scene in Australia and New Zealand. He's a media man by profession. He's a barbecuer by passion. And as I said at the top of the show, we're talking to Jay Beaumont the man behind the magnificent Meatstock Barbecue Festivals and co-founder of the Australasian Barbecue Alliance. Today, we're not going to be getting into the history of the ABA. You can check out episode one with Adam Roberts for that. Um, we'll go all the way back to, to episode one. As, uh, this is 107, so it's quite a ways back, but that's, how, that, that's when we covered all the, all the setup and all that sort of stuff. Very interesting episode. Today, we're going to find out um, how the ABA is going with all the COVID-19 business happening. Then we're going to get into meat stock and we're going to get the background and the story on those incredible barbecue festivals. We're going to have a good old chat about Beyond the Flame, that beautiful video series that cleaned house at the NBBQA last year. And then we're going to finish up the episode with a lesson on brand building. 
So Jay obviously is a master of branding and he's going to give us a bit of a lesson on how to build a brand that people flock to get behind. So let's get stuck into it. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Alrighty, Jay, welcome to The Confessional. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Anytime, mate, anytime. So, how are you holding up with everything? Uh, yeah, it's been interesting. I think, we're, what are we at, three months now since, um, since uh, Meatstock Melbourne and, and that was kind of almost the beginning of a, a lockdown of sorts. So, yeah, it's been three months. I've spent a lot of time at home because obviously I'm uh, working from a home office. We haven't, I haven't been allowed to go to my day job um, at the office, so working from home, which is interesting. Um, and, yeah, I'm kind of over it, to be honest. <laughs> Words that you never thought you'd hear yourself say, I want to go never. back to the office. I need to put on something other than slippers for the day. Oh, come on, come on. I love sitting here working in my office in my slippers. <laughs> So I, I was actually going to ask, was it a huge transition for you? Because I know you've got multiple uh, multiple plates spinning in the air. So you you just said that 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 you have an office, but you obviously spend a lot of time in your home office as well. So it wasn't wasn't too big of a change for you. Uh, look, no, I perfected the art of going to work for the you know I did right perfect the art of going to work for the day and closing the door at five or six p.m. and going home and. Don't get me wrong, you've got to, still got a mobile device and laptops, so you still tend to work from home. But, you know, I did fall into that nice rhythm of getting up, going to work, achieving what I had to achieve for the day and coming home. So that I, I was enjoying that, so that switching off and, you know, coming home and cooking dinner. Now it kind of feels like uh, that I'm at home, there's no distinction between home and work anymore. So I find myself working weird hours um, but also being distracted nonstop all day long by kids at home and uh, wives that just need something very quickly done 24 times a day. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy going back to work when that happens. And, yes, you're probably right. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it, it seems to be furniture movals. My wife's like, oh, if you've just got a minute, <laughs> I just want to rearrange the lounge room. I'm like, this is the third time this week. It's only Thursday. So uh, yeah, I've got I've I've had lots of ibuprofen, the the sticky packs on the back with the with the heat gel on them, and uh, we we've been good to go. It's funny. So um, you've uh, you've stepped sort of not not down, but away from sort of active duty in the in the ABA. So um, I I wanted to sort of kick things off with a just a bit of a recap, if you if you're able to about um about how the ABA is going with all the with all the COVID nineteen stuff happening. Yeah, so I did my time as president of that organisation um, and it was kind of time, I suppose, to pass the baton on and um, uh, Adam Rothwell and Michael Rose uh, moved on to that position from myself and Jess Pryles and they've kind of, for the last year or more, have kind of taken the reins of the, of the ABA um, and, and pushed that on. So I know that Adam Rothwell is... Um, pushing hard to try and get a end of the year in place if anything can happen and which and what events can happen and what next year is going to look like. So I know everybody is after some clarity right now, um, but to be honest, it's tough going to try and figure out what will and won't be allowed in the next coming months so that we know whether events can and can't happen. And I've also been talking to other promoters that are in the same boat, you know. Um, so 
trying to have that crystal ball to predict the future. And uh, that's what um, Adam Rothwell is working on at the moment to try and make sure the teams do have some sort of clarity around being able to plan for what the future is. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's a there's a ton of people getting involved in all these virtual barbecue comps at the moment. So I know everybody's really, uh, really keen to uh, to get back into it and, uh, and, and to keep competing. So has the... Has the government been been forthcoming at all with any kind of um, recommendations for what events are going to have to do in the future for COVID, or is the government still in the day to day monitoring process at the moment? Oh, look, I didn't. The government hasn't, when it comes to large scale events, hasn't made any sort of announcements about um, anything over five hundred people. Um, so that's going to make life tough, and also events or, or any businesses that are operating under that under that level i think we're up to 100 people right now but there is a crystal ball that says we might get to 500 people um whether whether those whether those sorts of restrictions and measures that you need to put them in place are going to make the event viable anyway so mm. that's the part that i think is a little gray at the moment um but yeah there hasn't been any official communication nor was there when we shut meat stock down with you know 24 hours notice yeah. um there hasn't been any sort of official communication to any event organizers about what isn't isn't allowed and like anyone else i, I catch up read i read this information on the news or or watch a you know, at the moment, it seems like you need to watch a, a live press conference to kind of get a hang of what's going to happen in the future. And um, I wouldn't say they're winging it, but it kind of feels that way a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, to, it's a bit hard to sort of uh, decipher what what each person's saying, particularly when the premiers of different states are all throwing mud at each other at the moment. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's uh, it's it's a quite an interesting time, but. Let's move on to meat stock. Tell us about meat stock. So let's um, let's start with the the history. How did how did meat stock first come about? So you, I, I think you've been to a few of the events, but I started an event in Port Macquarie. Man, it'd have to be going back nine years, maybe. Um, after a trip to America, I fell in love with barbecue. Came back, and my hometown was Port Macquarie, and one of my good mates owned a caravan park at the time, uh, Simon Luke. And so we kicked off a small 20 team. It wasn't the first barbecue competition in Australia, but it would have been the first one done kind of properly, I would say. Um, and it was cool. We had, um, we had a great time. The teams had a great time. Um, that's how I met Jess Pryles because prior to that competition, I rang and talked to anybody who I could find about who knew anything about barbecue in Australia. And the two people that really resonated with me and seemed to know the most was uh, Paul Rettmeyer from Silver Creek Smokers um, and Jess Pryles. Um, there was also uh, Urban Griller, who was based over in Perth. And the three of them people probably at the time had the most amount of barbecue knowledge just by talking to them. Um, I couldn't quite convince Urban Griller to make the trip over because it was from Perth, but Paul did come and Jess did come and that event kind of kicked off into the, I think three or four years we ran that event from. And from the, from that, we kind of used that positive energy and we had those teams interested to launch meat stock. So the hard part about anyone who's ever run a barbecue competition, and that's that they don't make any money. You're doing it free. <laughs> You know, um, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a love job um, at best, and that's what Port Macquarie always was. And it became harder and harder for me to justify my time 
to these big events that were up to 100 teams. Um, and meat stock was my way of kind of trying to turn that into a business and create some sort of uh, income that would uh, support the, you know, months and months that I was spending organising these things. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that that uh, that love and that energy that you are pouring into Port Macquarie—that's that's really evident in the in the fact that people are still now. It's almost two years since the last Port Mac. People are still talking about it, saying, "We want it. Where is it? Where is it?" So that uh, that 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 love and that energy was was really obvious in 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 what you put in there. And now you've expanded that into into meat stock, and that's that's uh, coming through again clearly there. So you um. Where did you first start off? Was it Sydney or Melbourne? So Sydney was the first one that we ever did. Um, and to be honest, it was, you know, if I, if I went back and had my time over, it was pretty scary. Uh, we launched this big event. We were expecting 10,000 people. Uh, we, uh, you know, had a lot of caterers to cater for that many people. We had a lot of moving parts, a butchery competition. We had live music. There was a barbecue competition happening. Um, and there was a lot going on. And it was, it was kind of hard to sell tickets. Nobody kind of knew what Low and Slow Barbecue was. There was another festival that was on two weeks before our festival um, and it was tough, but people seemed to resonate and like what we did. Um, and from that, we started a Melbourne and an Auckland event. And uh, we have done now four Sydney events um, and... Yeah, four Sydney events and we've done four Auckland events and three Melbourne events. Right. Wow. Okay. I, I actually thought that uh, that uh, Auckland was a reasonably new addition, but sounds like you must have sort of been straight onto that almost out of the gate. We, we, we went, uh, after Sydney was such a big success, we went to uh, both Melbourne and Auckland, which seemed like a good, you know, uh, second event to have on Meatstock. And we kind of chatted to people and, met a lot of the teams in Auckland and some sponsors and the venues and we came back and both of them kind of felt right. So we uh, launched uh, Auckland and Melbourne at the same time. So we went from one event to three events in a year. Wow. That's, that, that's uh, some pretty meteoric growth there to go from one to three in a year. What, what do you, um, do you uh, attribute that to? Uh, naivety. <laughs> <laughs> If you ever thought these things through, you'd probably never bloody do them. Yeah. What's the expression? You you bite off more than you can chew and then try and find the knife and fork afterwards or something? That's right. Chew like crazy. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's essentially what we did do, yeah. And I was lucky at the time that my other business was kind of becoming self-sufficient, so I had a bit of time on my hands. Uh, we did get extremely lucky and there was another big event over in the UK called Grillstock, which is a similar name, and it was uh, an amazing event um, and it was uh, kind of organised, uh, it was owned by two people but, orga- but sort of organised by a person called Sarah who just so happened to be in Australia on a holiday and, um, and she had a, a working visa and she helped us on the on sort of expand, going from one event to three events. And she had all that knowledge um, and was just like a bit of a kind of like organisational ninja when it came to dealing with, you know, local councils and that sort of stuff. Wow, that's awesome. What a, what a happy coincidence. Yeah, we got lucky. Yeah. Yeah, so... So um, I, I was actually going to ask that if, if there was meat stock and grill stock, was there any sort of trademark issues? But obviously if, uh, if Sarah came to, 
came to work with you, she was she was happy to sort of share the share the knowledge and and share the share the wealth, which is part of the whole thing about the barbecue scene. Um, so, which sort of brings me to sort of moving to Auckland and moving to New Zealand. Did you you obviously found given the success of Meatstock, you've obviously found that the New Zealand community has been as as open to American style low and slow barbecue as we are here in Australia. I'd, I'd, I'd go as far as to say even more so. More so, um, wow! Yeah. So we set up a we set up a group over there. I think I set up a group before we even got started. We set up a group called New Zealand Barbecue Pitmasters, and I don't know. I haven't followed it too much lately. It's since been renamed, but that group's now at thirty thousand uh, followers. Right? Oh wow! So compare that to the ABA in Australia, and considering their population, it'd be about the same. And I'd say that their their for, for, for their population and for the, the the space that they have between North and South Island, for example, um, that they probably punch well above their weight in terms of how many events they run, um, and definitely with the help of uh, Luke Sini over there, um, the quality of the events they run and and what kind of shows they put on is a really high standard, and they seem to have this pretty cool community going on over there, which 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 I think punches well above its you know its weight. Yeah, I guess I hadn't sort of uh, looked at it that way, but when you do talk about the numbers like that, it, it it does become pretty clear. And I can I can see what you mean with the with the help of Luke. And um, I've I've seen Jared McDonald spending a lot of time jet setting around the world, sort of promoting NZ Barbecue and doing his bit there as well. So uh, he he's obviously got the passion burning as well. Yeah, and look, there's just there's a lot of um, good people. Jared is definitely one of them, right? But there's a lot of good people over there um, that that are all kind of fighting for the same cause. They all have their own agendas, don't get me wrong. They own their own restaurants or they run their own businesses or they run different competitions. But, um, you know, they all seem to be on the same page and um, and they're all kind of just excited to watch this thing blow up and, and, and expand and it's been fun to watch them do that. Beautiful, yeah. All right, so I, I guess that sort of brings us to 2020 then and you you touched on the, on the cancellation of um, Meatstock Melbourne there two or three months ago now. Um, that was a really big step and you were really, um, ahead of the curve when it, like making that decision to, to cancel that, uh, that event. I think it was the first one that I'd heard of that, that had been canceled. What was, I mean, it must've really been a really hard decision to make. Cause I mean, you were there, everything was set up, the, the competitors were, were coming in. What, what was the, the final hammer drop that made you decide, yep, okay, we got to call it. Um, yeah, that was the, probably the toughest day of my career and probably the most expensive too, mind you. Um, but we, the, the night before that I went to sleep and I'm talking on the Thursday night, obviously we set up on the, on the Thursday and the Friday, and then we, we have people rocking up, you know, 8,000 people rocking up on the Saturday. So the Friday is kind of like the big day that everything gets done. And on the Thursday night, I went to sleep with the premier saying that there was no medical reason why large-scale events should not go ahead. And he was saying that to protect Formula One, and we just happened to be on the same weekend. And by the morning when I got up, that had all turned to nothing. You know, this confidence he had about no medical reason um, was a bit of a domino effect with Formula One and certain teams not wanting to participate in the race. And once Formula One fell down, then that really did push the government and the Premier to kind of make a whole heap of um, 
wouldn't say rash decisions, but decisions with no warning whatsoever. So, you know, that morning I went to bed, uh, sorry, that night I went to bed sound asleep, thinking that everything was going to be okay. Um, otherwise, we would have pulled, pulled the pin a week ago or three days ago. You know, there's no way on earth we would have set up, totally set up, and I mean lock, stock and barrel, ready to go, stages built. Um, everything was done, smokers were going, people were putting meat in smokers. I mean, there's no way we would have got down that path and spent all that money on all those stages had we even had an inkling that it wouldn't go ahead. Um, so anyway, long story short, uh, we had to make that decision on Friday. Um, we were, the hard part was there was no clear information from anybody about what was going to be allowed and what wasn't going to be allowed. And we had uh, a bit of information through the showgrounds to say that by three o'clock, a decision would be imminent and that would ban any events over 500 people. So after we had that information uh, told to us, we started to wind the festival down. We had this really um, scary part where uh, people were loading smokers full of meat and I kind of knew that you can sell raw meat but you can't sell cooked meat. And um, we had to make a call then and there about whether we would or wouldn't go ahead. Um, and then by about five o'clock, the Prime Minister made his speech and very slyly in his speech slipped in after this weekend. And I really don't know whether that was uh, meant to be a thing or not. Um, but look, time over again, we, you know, would I have made the same decision? I'm not sure. We had to make a call one way or the other. Um, there was a lot of negativity around that weekend. If we had have gone ahead, we would have met, been met with a lot of negativity. Um, so we just had to kind of protect the brand, do the right thing by the community um, and, and try and do our best to salvage what the caterers would have cooked um, that may have gone to waste if people didn't show up. Um, you know, it financially would have been good for me to, to run the event anyway, but it was, uh, it was one of those decisions that I had to make uh, what was in the best interest of everybody. And that was a tough call to make. That was a really tough one. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I Personally, I applaud you. I Like you made a tough call and you put people's lives first, which, is, which was a very, um, very brave and, uh, and, and empathetic forward thinking thing to do. Um, I was looking online at uh, places like Louisiana, New Orleans that had Mardi Gras around that time they didn't cancel and have had huge problems now. So, uh, I mean, with, yeah, with, with, with hindsight. Ahead, correct. Had that weekend have gone ahead with Formula One and meat stock and maybe 30 other events, and some events did go ahead, um, you know, there was the races and whatnot that went ahead, but, but had those events gone ahead, Melbourne might be in a different situation or might have been in a different situation. So, um you know, I, I, I wish the government would have been more clear in its direction and just made a like a down, downright call. In the end, it was just, it, and, and to be honest, it's been grey ever since, you know, about the, the, what is and isn't allowed. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think we made the right call. I think collectively Formula One made the right call too. Um, by Sunday, it had all turned really pear-shaped. You know, oh, yeah. we're, we're on the phones trying to rush people in to meet the 12 o'clock deadline uh, for New Zealand to get people home. We were trying to get Mo Kaysen home. We were trying to get uh, all the pitmasters that had come out, trying to get them on rebook flights, which was a nightmare. Um, but, look, so, yeah, in hindsight, we made the right call and because um, by Sunday it was pretty messy. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, 
you you obviously had a lot of things to do. Um, did you make it out to Sheepstock? No, I wish I did. You know, I was really <laughs> I was really impressed that that um, the Sheepy managed to kind of pull everyone together. It was highly embarrassing for me because we had a huge contingent of American guests that of were out course, here yeah. uh, from from SCA uh, to really support the event and to see what we had to offer. And the guy, the, the guys from the SCA really um, talked it up. And um, you know, we I, I underdelivered, and so for Sheepy to kind of pull that hat out of the bag and uh, make something out of their big long trip, I think was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a it was a really interesting way to uh, to to come through. It, it it does make me wonder though: Are we going to see sheep stock move in under the meat stock banner, and are we going to see like a little a little small uh, sanctioned competition out at out at Sheepy's place in twenty twenty one? I think it should the weekend after or the the the, the something you know the, the Monday Tuesday after. If people are here, why not do it, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I hope so. And it might become a tradition now. Yeah, mate, that would be fantastic. So given that, uh, that we've talked about um, how, how COVID has affected the, the barbecue events business, it's, it's really difficult to, to sort of say when things are going to happen. So speaking, sort of zooming out one level, speaking a little bit more, more abstract, what does the future look like for meat stock, AKA when am I going to get a Brisbane meat stock? <laughs> um, you know, we had a lot of cool expansion plans ready for uh, 2021. And unfortunately, all they have been put on hold. Um, Brisbane Meat Stock, I'm not sure and never been sure. You know, there's a couple of good events up there. Um, they've been run for a while. And um, there are other places for us to do meat stock other than uh, Brisbane. And I know a lot of people are really wanting us to come up to Brisbane. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, if we do go up there, it might be a very crowded space. And there are other events and, and I don't know, I don't, I'm just not in, I don't want to step on too many toes. Right. Um, so, but there are other places that we were looking at having meat stock um, and Brisbane is a natural fit for us, you know? Um, so who knows what the future holds. Um, but right now, who knows when I'm going to be able to run another event, you know, I've got everything's in hibernation. We're ready to go as kind of as soon as we get the, the, the green light. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fingers crossed that um, we can do it sooner rather than later. But, you know, we've, we've, we've picked a date for, for Melbourne, which, you know, is highly likely to be postponed again um, because the, the odds of us, you know, when, when we picked that date, it seemed like an eternity away. It literally felt like, you know, everything will be definitely back to normal by then, but things have changed and... So I will just keep keep postponing events or moving dates until we can have these events, and then I'm, I really have my fingers crossed that when we can can hold them again, that um, everyone comes out and supports us again. Well, that's a that's a very interesting point that you've just made at the end there. There's going to be a bit of a time lag in just in in my opinion between when the government says yes, you can hold big events, and when the public is going to be comfortable to come out to big events. Um, I know that uh, at the moment here in Queensland, they've, they've eased things quite a bit. We're allowed to go up to 250 kilometres from home, all that sort of stuff, and my wife still won't let me out of the house. Right. So um, <laughs> you, can, you can probably tell by my COVID beard. Yeah, yeah mine's uh, actually really big too. Yeah, yours is huge. Too, <laughs> um, yes, there's, there's those sorts of things to consider as well. You know, um, how long until people feel comfortable again and 
when that is, I'm not sure. I think I'm kind of lucky with meat stock that the majority of the people that come to these events um, maybe don't care as much as, as some other demographics. Um, but we, we, you know, there is dangers with everything in life and obviously you can catch the flu. Um, and, but until, until, you know, COVID becomes something like, you know, in terms of the flu, then, you know, we'd be mad to run those events again. And we, you know, we, we wouldn't be allowed to anyway. So um, hopefully we can get back to some sort of safe realm, whether that's, you know, via a vaccine or whatever, I'm not sure. I really don't have any idea about how we're going to get through this. Um, but until then, um, we, you know, we just have to keep waiting until we can run these events again, because I don't want to give up on the, on the project. And I think that um, it was, it was fun. We all had fun. We kind of didn't know what we had until we didn't have it. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. All right. So moving on now to Beyond the Flame. That I just want to say that was a beautiful video series. Absolutely stunning. Um, tell us about that. Like, where did that all start? The the inception of the idea. Okay, so uh, I suppose I'd always, um, you know, liked making little films and, and or you know little videos, and I'd done a lot for meat stock and you know um, how to videos and some promo videos and whatnot. So I self taught myself how to edit. Um, and uh, Adam Roberts, who's one of the co-founders of the Australasian Barbecue Alliance, he managed to convince a few sponsors to just basically pay our flights and accommodation to get over to, to America. So and, good. Yeah. So, um, so our wives would let us go because, you know, it was technically uh, free. Uh, but at the same time, all the expenses of the trip came out of our own pockets. And obviously, um, you know, the time that we spent on it was all our own time. So we did get some of the trip uh, covered, but it was a fun project. We, we kind of traveled across the States for about two weeks. We caught up with Jess Pryles while we were over there. Um, and we hit up, the, I would say, the biggest sort of spots that we could in that less than two-week time period. We, we went to Memphis and I really wanted to try memphis barbecue and we went to rendezvous and then we headed out to texas um and we uh, stayed in texas for a while and filmed kind of non-stop we also went to the world food championships while we were there because i wanted to check that out uh, it's a different concept to, to barbecue competitions as we know them um but i kind of wanted to check that out so we we and we did some road trips and stayed at barbecue joints and we had a great time so but what we did was we filmed everywhere we went and um and then post-production-wise, Adam put together a bit of a script. We had a bit of a – we filmed with no plan, put it that way. It wasn't until we got home. Um, the original idea was that we had to – we were going to just put a video together of our whole trip, but my, uh, my computer was an iMac Air, and after about 10 minutes of editing 4K footage, it didn't want to <laughs> – <laughs> So we had to kind of break the episodes down in uh, breaking down into short episodes, which worked better to be honest. It, it it got the videos out there a lot more. We had over a million views on Facebook. Wow. Um, so Facebook was our primary platform. A lot of people, when they do these things, they release them on YouTube. 
but we tried something different. Uh, the first video got, you know, 2,000 shares or something, I can't remember, but, you know, uh, wow. 300,000 views. And it was cool. It was good fun. Um, and but, but at the end of the day, it was not, not a big production. It was just Adam Roberts in his lounge room with a, a, a cheap uh, microphone uh, recording the voiceovers and me uh, editing on an iMac Air and, uh, oh, sorry, a, a MacBook Air and, um, and doing all the sound and the editing and, and that myself. So there was no one else involved other than two of us. Um, so yeah, it was a fun project and it was cool to kind of get behind the scenes and, uh, meet some people over there and film this thing that a lot of Australians have kind of fallen in love with and, um, and, and, and go to these places. So that was a privilege and it was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Must've just been life changing. So of the different people that you met and the different places that you went, do you have a favorite? Yeah, look, I, I'd have to say Louis Mueller's was the favourite and um, mainly because of Wayne, how much time he gave up. Um, we, went to a, uh, we went to a few other restaurants where I wouldn't say that they were, um, you know, not giving us time or not, 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 not um, you know, happy that we were there or anything like that. Um, but, but Wayne went above and beyond, you know. He kind of out the door, he's giving you hats and T-shirts and, you know, three hours of his time. Meanwhile, the restaurants packed the rafters and whatever wow. you need, wherever I needed to go, he let me go. Um, and he gave us quite a lot of time to the point where, just to give you an example, uh, when we got in there, the restaurant was packed. It was super busy. And there he was. And we didn't know how much time he had to give us. And so I recorded a, a, a one-hour interview in this really crowded, noisy restaurant because we kind of wanted to have him in the restaurant. And within about an hour and a half, the whole place had cleared out. It was dead quiet. And I'm like, you reckon we could do all that again? You know, like, <laughs> and he just went, yep, and spent another hour and a half and did it all again. Oh, um, wow. anyone else that had told me to get stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was really cool. Um, yeah, and I, and, and, and I know people bag it. But I really liked Rendezvous ribs. I loved them. Um, dry ribs, like you know, I still cook them at home to this day. This dry, dry ribs. Um, don't get me wrong. I know the whole Kansas City saucy ribs, like you know, pork ribs, like anyone else, and cook them at home a million times. But I like that dry rib. Uh, you know, dry pork ribs. So um, they were the two cool places that we were, and the nostalgia of that place really drove home for me because when it comes to barbecue, you know, there's not a lot of old, old places. And that was something that was just steeped in history that, um, you know, whatever you think about the barbecue, the fact that you're there in that basement um, experiencing this restaurant that seems to have stood still in time is, is an amazing experience. Yeah, I, I felt like that as well when I went to Joe's in Oklahoma City to the, to the gas station where you go down three levels underground underneath the gas station. That was yes. really cool as well. That's cool. That's a cool experience. And that's something that we don't have here in Australia yet. We don't have those establishments that have been around for, you know, and, and, and have a history behind them uh, or a story to tell. And that's what I found interesting over there. Well, I think uh, Smoking Hot and Saucy are certainly working on it. Well, well they are. They are, you know. Um, there's, there's, some, there's some cool people in Australia that are really, you know, in 30 years' time are going to look back and, and realise that these guys were pioneers of what, um, this barbecue community 
and the, the history of barbecue is going to be about. Um, and yeah, definitely smoking hot and saucy will, you know, uh, Rob will be part of that journey with a few other people that have really will cement barbecue, uh, long-term in Australia, um, and do it the right way as well too. You know, like these, these aren't just, uh, wealthy guys throwing tons of money in it. These are people that are passionate about it. These are people that are, um, that have done their dues sort of thing. You know, they've been in the competition scene. They've, you know, um, you know, the full throttle is another good story. Black bear barbecue is another good story, right? A lot of these people have cut their teeth as, as home cooks, right? And then just this thing's got out of hand, just like I've done meat stock, right? <laughs> it's got out of hand and these home cooks now must just sit there on, the, on a Friday night and go, what the hell have we done? You know, like, how do we get here? So <laughs> it's cool to watch that all happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to loop back to something that you said earlier. You you were talking about the the post production process and the, and the work that went into all the editing and that. That's something that a lot of people don't sort of understand. A lot of people think to themselves, "Oh, I'm I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that," and then they sort of drown under the editing. What like what sort of hour, um, ratio would you say there is between an hour of Beyond the Flame to the amount of work that went into producing that that final edited hour? That's a good question. Um, I'd preempt this by saying that I, you know, I had a MacBook Air. I'm I'm self-taught, right? And I'm working off portable hard drives. You know, that's how that's how I operate. Still to this day, that's how I operate, right? Um, but I would say an hour per minute. So I would spend an hour of editing to get a minute of footage. Um, you know, I'm I that that's you know. So some if if a video goes for eight minutes. I've probably spent eight hours on it. Um, that's about where I'm at when it when it comes to editing. And yeah, I've got faster and better. But tr- but when you're trolling through so much footage, and I and I don't know what I'm doing. I probably I probably recorded, you know, ten hours of footage. Oh wow! Many, you know, many of which I didn't use or whatever. But you know, trying to find those little bits and pieces that told the story. Um, so that when people were talking about something, I kind of had cutaways to go back to, to show what they were talking about. And so trolling through, you know, bits that I'd filmed months ago or weeks ago, or, you know, were part of the trip or whatever else. Um, it just took a lot of time. And, you know, I think by the end of it, my project file was up to four terabytes. Uh, wow. Pro- yeah. So, you know, I, I, um, it was slow going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no doubt about that at all. I finished that project. I went and bought myself a bloody new laptop because yeah. like, I can't keep doing this. You know? I'd, I would have been at the shop after about the first hour, I think. I would have gone, nah. I should, I I should have, but I just spent so much money like getting, like get, just buying equipment. We had to buy, I bought a new camera and it wasn't expensive camera. You know, there's way more expensive cameras on the market, but. You know, I probably, you know, put it this way. There's only so much money you can kind of take out of a joint bank account until you get in trouble. <laughs> I thought you were going to say before it starts getting noticed. I'm impressed that you were, um, that you're saying that you were uh, uh, self-taught with your editing because it, it just, it looks incredibly beautiful. And the work that you guys did, it was recognized by the NBBQA at the last year's 2019 awards. Um, what was that like winning that award for that, for that passion project? Um, yeah, it was cool. To be honest, I think, I, I don't even remember whether Adam even told me that he entered the, entered the competition. 
<laughs> um, might have. I, I don't remember, but um, but yeah, that was cool to come out of the blue and and to find out that something that you did um, won an award. I can call myself an award-winning, you know, whatever. filmmaker. Filmmaker now. Um, so yeah, that was that was cool, and for it to be voted on by people who I like and admire. Um, you know, I think Saffron was running the the um, the competition then and had a, you know, and I'd been part of the voting process in previous years, uh, for, I think for the photography competition. So I kind of knew the process about how it would be judged and, um, and, and the way it was done was, was cool and fair. And so I knew when we won that, you know, the process behind it was, was, was well done. And so that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing stuff. I'd, I remember being there and um, I was actually in the, in the hall when they were doing the presentations. And uh, it, it comes up uh, the, the the video series awards, and I didn't realise that that you guys had entered either. And your your name came up on the uh, on the board, and the and they did a little sort of loop of the of the videos. I was like, oh my god! And and then you guys won. That was awesome. My my son and I were were sitting there going, yeah, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> I think you got I think you got up there and picked the trophy up too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> Aussie, Aussie represent. Yeah. So what um what what impact has has winning that award had? Like has it has it opened up other opportunities for you? Do you get approached by by different venues or events now saying, hey, come film my project? Yes and no. Um, not nothing nothing like, hey, here's twenty grand, go do it again. You know, like no one's saying that. Um, but I I do get lots of offers to go do videos for different people, and I've. You know, I, if you follow meat stock, you will see some of the little productions that we've done over the years, whether it be uh, recipes or whether it be, you know, a little video on a knife maker or something like that. You know, like uh, we did a good one with Paul Rettmeyer um, with, you know, building kits. Um, so I have dabbled in that sort of stuff. But the one thing I will say is that the moment I turn it into a job, I won't enjoy it anymore. Um, so I'm kind of enjoying the fact that I get to pick and choose what I want to do, um, which included last year, we went to, um, Trascada, uh, which is in Brazil and Jared, uh, was my host and we, we did a 20 minute video on the most epic barbecue event period anywhere in the world. Um, and it was, it was cool. And, and that was the last big project that I've done in terms of spending a lot of time on something. Um, we filmed pretty much nonstop for two days at that event. Um, and Jared was a great host and that was a fun project man, and a fun trip. Like Brazilians know how to turn on a barbecue festival, let me tell you. And, um, and so that was the last project that I worked on. And if you jump on, um, if you jump on YouTube, I think I put it up there as the, I think the title of the video is the world's best barbecue festival. And that's coming from someone who runs barbecue. <laughs> So how how were the Brazilian festivals different to to what we do over here? Man, whatever what what the, the Brazilian festivals is kind of like no rules. If there was no rules and you could create the most ultimate barbecue festival anywhere, that's what the Brazilians are doing. And when I talk about um, uh, a festival, it's all you can eat, all you can drink. Nice. So you can walk up to the bar at any time and grab beer. You can walk up to any food vendor at any time and they will have sample plates ready for you to t- try. There is 
some of the world's best pitmasters there for live fire cooking. So a lot of what we're into is low and slow style American cooking, which is, to be honest, one version of how you can cook meat. And there is um, obviously the, the, you know, the same sort of process or uh, the same sort of ideals go into underground cooking. Um, there's a lot of people doing uh, what they call clothesline cooking. So they're still cooking everything low and slow, but not traditionally in a, in, in a chamber with an offset smoker. They're basically hanging meat that sits over a fire that's really, really low. So it still gets the smoke. It still has the same philosophy of barbecue. Um, and then they'll smash it really quickly on a really hot grill. Um, and just the way they go about doing it at that particular festival was every vendor was putting together some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life, um, but doing it in, in, in different ways. Um, and a lot of people were doing low and slow barbecue, don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of clothesline cooking um, going on as well. There was a lot of um, underground, you know, people doing sort of wrapping things in mud and kind of putting them under bamboo leaves and fire on top. Wow. Um, there's a lot of people cooking low and slow. Uh, Wayne Mueller was there, for example. Um, uh, Mike Johnson was there cooking pork ribs. Um, we were there, you know, the Aussies were there cooking lamb. Uh, we were cooking lamb. Um, and so it was just like, for, you know, what it felt to me was that the best kind of Aussie representation, American representation, South American representation, Japanese or Asian representation, everyone had kind of come to the one spot to kind of um, show everybody what they were capable of and what they thought barbecue was. And being in that one spot, it kind of was like, wow, this every place was different and unique. And that's what I loved about it. And um, yeah, it was, and it was a party atmosphere too, like a crazy party atmosphere. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. All right, so we're going to wrap this uh, interview up with a bit of a lesson in brand building because you've, you've obviously, uh, you're a, a master of, of creating a brand that people are not just attracted to, but they flock to. Um, Meatstock has a huge following, as we've already discussed, across you know two two countries, three different locations, um, massive followings through social media. You've got your different uh, film projects that you've worked on that uh, you have, have achieved uh, hundreds of thousands, a million views. Um, I was hoping we, that we'd be able to close things out with a bit of a bit of a how-to, bit of some tips and techniques for people that are um, looking to either start a brand or revamp a brand that they've already got yeah look i i'm definitely no expert and um two things that i i, I, I would say to people is one design matters the, the 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 touches the little touches that you put into something when you're you know i'm looking at you right now you've got some really nice logos in the top uh top left and right of you you know you, you your background's on point you cut out properly um, you don't you don't have green edges around you, for example, right? Little details matter. They do. And it doesn't matter whether it's building a stage or it doesn't matter with, you know, um, anything you do, details matter. And I see a lot of people who kind of, you know, put together a brand and they just they just forget the details or they don't care enough to kind of perfect those details, you know, um, where your microphone sits right in front of you and it's symmetrical and all these things kind of, mattered to me and you know obviously right now I'm not uh, 
showing you any of those sorts of things, but that's what I look for in a brand and business. Um, and secondly, the only thing I'd say is you've got to stick at it. I see everybody, you know, if you've got any sort of business and they produce, whether it's a product or, or whatever, and, and, and if, if you're not in it for the long term, don't expect long term results. You know, meat stock's a great brand, but I've been chipping away at this for like eight to nine years, right? Um, any brand that has traction has been, you know, through the hard slog of building that brand. And I don't think there's many overnight successes. Um, and the way I see it is social media is a little bit like a freight train. It's, you've got to throw so much at it to kind of get it going. And once you keep throwing stuff at it, um, it, it starts to move. And once it starts to move, it can really empower a brand and drag a lot of energy with it. You know, it can really create a lot of results. But if you're just throwing some, you know, if you're just... Um, uh, waiting for this freight train to take off by itself and slowly, surely thinking that, you know, if you do a little bit, it might just run away. It doesn't, I don't think it works like that. I think that you've got to have a plan and you've got to spend the time executing that plan. And with social media, it's hungry, hungry for uh, content, right? And you, you can't just really throw something at it really cool once every month or even once every week, right? You've got to be at it every day. And if you do that for an extended period of time, you'll find a path, you'll find things that work for you and you'll find what doesn't work and what does work. And um, if, you, uh, if you care about the details and you care about the journey that you're on, you'll, find, you'll figure it out. You'll, you'll figure it out. But a lot of people give up too early is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I was going to ask about um, the importance of consistency. Um, and so you've, you've touched on that as well. You've said that, you know, you, you need to keep up with it. You used the analogy of the, of the steam train there, which I really liked and fully intend to steal. Um, and, uh, and often I see, um, businesses or teams or whatever who come up with a logo and then don't carry the rest of the, of the theme through the rest of their branding. Um, so you mentioned a, that it's important to have a plan. How do they, how do they go about formulating that plan? Where do they start with that? I think it's just having a goal, right? What's your goal? What are you trying to achieve, right? What do you want to be? And write that down and then figure out how you're going to get there. And a lot of the times when I say people, when they write a plan, yes, like what's the plan about? What steps do I need to take? But where are you head? Like, where do you want to be? Do you want to be, I want to be the number one funded barbecue team in, in the country. Cool. That's, that, that's where you want to get to. How are you going to get there? Or I want to be the biggest barbecue festival in the country. Cool. That's my plan. And a lot of people that are into barbecue just don't have a plan. They don't even know where they're heading. They don't have a goal. Um, you know, whether you've got a restaurant or you've got any sort of business, what's the goal? Like, do, you, do you want to be the number one rub in the country? Do you want to have the biggest event? Do you want to have uh, 20 restaurants, you know? is Or do you want to have one of the most popular restaurants, right? Um, what's the goal? And a lot of people, I think, bounce from thing to thing to thing without ever knowing where they're going to get to. And then the sad part about that is when they get to their goal, they don't even know. You know, they don't even know. Like, so for some people, it might be just my goal is to um, start a barbecue team, hang with my friends, enjoy three or four weekends a year, um, get a sponsor, 
have my hobby funded somewhat and have a great time. And that's my goal. But I think a lot of people get to that point and then they kind of get a bit upset with like what's next because they never knew that that was the goal and they're always chasing a, a bigger marquee or, a, or, or a, you know, we've got to release our own rub, you know, line of rubs and we need more sponsors. And, um, and I think people get to that point where they just lose sight of what the goal was in the first place. And that's no different for any business. And, and I think I, I had to remember that with meat stock as well, right? Because you said to me, why don't you do Brisbane? And I'm like, well, what was my goal with meat stock? My goal was just to have a really cool barbecue festival that I love to do. It wasn't world domination and a meat stock. My goal was never, ever, I want a meat stock in every city and every town, right? Like that's what I want. It was never that. My goal was just that I wanted to have a really cool barbecue festival and when I got to three, that's kind of when I realized a little bit like, do I really want more of these things? You know, am I going to turn my, am I going to turn what I love into something that becomes a nightmare because I, I haven't set somewhere where I'm happy. And, um, you know, I think, you know, when you are developing a plan, at least have a goal and the steps should sort themselves out because once you know where you want to head, you kind of know how to get there anyway, I reckon. Mate, that's a beautiful little uh, piece of advice there just to nicely round out the end of the interview. Thank you very much for that. That was beautiful. So I'm going to throw the studio over to you now. So feel free to give some, uh, give some thanks, give some shout outs and tell everybody where they can track you down on the socials. Although I dare say anybody listening to this is probably already following you on, <laughs> on all the socials. Yeah, look, you can follow me on Meatstock. But look, Meatstock too isn't me. It never has been, never will be. Meatstock is a collaboration of what I would call, sounds corny, but beautifully, beautiful, kind-hearted people who would give their shirt off their back to uh, make Meatstock as good as it can be. Um, and, I, I, you know, I'm going to forget names and whatnot, but th put it this way. There is 30 people that will rock up to a Meatstock without me having to pay them because I couldn't afford it anyway. Um, and that are there that just pop up and go, how can I help? What do you want me to do? You know, and those sorts of people, you know, um, Shannon would be a perfect example of, of, you know, Shannon and George, they just run the butcher wars for me. You know, those guys, Jared will rock up, Jess Pryor's been there. You know, there's a, there's a list of mile long of people who, um, who just, they, they just want to be part of something bigger than them. And I'm that fanboy too. Right. So, it just so happens that it's my business, but there's no way on earth that I'm organized enough or creative enough to put on something like Meatstock and do it by myself and, you know, employ people that do it. It's not like that at all. It's, it's, it's a, a collaboration of people who just, I don't know, have their hearts in the right places and um, just want to see something really cool happen and want to be part of it. And, you know, that's, Anyone who's helped me, that's my shout out, right? Like, you know, if you're giving up an hour, a weekend, some people have given up every weekend that meat stocks ever happened uh, to help me and to be there and to say, what do I need to do? And um, that, that's, that's the only reason why meat stock is what it is, is because of that collective group of people who front up and nothing's a problem. Nothing's a problem, right? What do you need me to do? And I don't think I'd have the nerve or the experience or the talent to pull off something like Meatstock. Um, obviously, I do the event with Simon Luke, who's my business partner, 
who's got tons of festival experience and, and he's got a little crew of people that help him too. But meets there's so many moving parts, man. There's just so much going on that, um, you know, it, 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 just doing a barbecue competition, if I could go back to Port Macquarie and just do that again, I'd be like, yeah, it's easy. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of moving parts with meat stock and, and I just, you know, shout out to everybody that's, that's ever helped me. Beautiful, mate, beautiful. Well, look, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to uh, to come on board the show. I've had a great time. I know the listeners are going to have a great time uh, listening and and watching this now because we have moved to a video format as well. And, um, yeah, I, I just want to say thanks again for being a part of the show. Cool. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And there you have it, family. That was Jay Beaumont from Meatstock, the ABA, Beyond the Flame, and so many of the things that we love about this beautiful barbecue scene that we get to play in. We've had a catch-up on where the comp scene is at right now in Australia. we got that incredible story of the biggest comps in Australasia, being Meatstock, of course. we got the lowdown on Beyond the Flame. And i got to tell you, if you haven't seen that yet, you have got to get onto the um, Beyond the Flame page on Facebook or check it out on, on YouTube as well. It is just, it's a spectacle to look at. Jay was being very humble and saying that he had taught himself how to do that. He must be one of the smartest men on the planet because that is just spectacular. It's beautifully shot. It's well edited. Um, the voiceovers are fantastic. The, the soundscape on it is just amazing. It's really easy to see why it won um, that big award over there in the States. And we rented out the episode with a quick lesson on branding. So um, he was, again, very humble, but he's obviously a master of branding. We've all flocked to, uh, to Meatstock. And so to share those, those pearls of wisdom with us was truly an amazing opportunity for us. So before I let you go, I just want to remind you about giving us a five-star rating and review on your podcast apps, like and shares on Facebook, hearts and follows on Instagram, and subscribes and likes on YouTube. It really helps us get the message out there and grow the scene so that when all this COVID passes, we can get back out there and we can hit these comps and have a really good time again. And that's all she wrote. So. Until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>